Well, I texted you about setting up a time to chat, and I didn't get a text back. I did respond. It says, sure, man, what's your schedule look like? That's a response from me. Shit. time again for another episode of Idea Lemons Discover Your Inner Awesome Podcast. My name is Rajiv Nathan, aka The Raj Nation. I'm the Idea Lemon co-founder and your show's co-host. And as always, I'm alongside my co-founder and co-host, Martin McGovern, aka Marty McFly. This is Discover Your Inner Awesome, the only show where you get to eavesdrop on conversations with entrepreneurs, artists, and musicians about the stories, the journeys, the struggles, but most importantly, the questions. The questions that help us all better understand who we are, what we're doing, and how we can do it better. In this episode, we invite Jason Bay back onto the show. He was with us back in Season 2, Episode 3, when we did our road trip. But this time we're talking about something completely different because Jason is the founder of Gen Y Success and a marketing consultant, but he recently embarked on a new venture for his career, and that is a career in stand-up comedy. So what we discuss is the concept of creativity. You may not think of yourself as creative, but we ask the question, how do you become creative? Before we get started, I'd like to invite you to join our tribe where you will never miss an episode of this show. All you have to do is enter your email address at idealemon.com. All right, let's dive into our conversation now with Jason Bay asking, how do you become creative? Let's listen in. I think that really creative uh, creativity has been on my mind a lot lately just because I, I started doing stand-up comedy uh, several months ago and I <laughs> have been... Always, uh, oh, wait, yeah. Oh, thank okay. you. Yeah, sympathy <laughs> laugh. Love those. Uh, the the thing that I've been really interested in is that I've never really thought of myself as a creator, and I have a pretty vast uh, background in business and actually creating things. I've I've never thought of myself as a creative because I think the stereotype we tend to associate with creative and creativity is artists, right? People that create music or people that that draw things, and then. Uh, create things that we can see. A lot of creativity that I'm realizing now is is more of a a mindset and a discipline opposed to something that you're naturally born with, if that makes sense. And that's that's why this is such an interesting topic to me. Talk us through that idea of the mindset and the discipline that you've had to embrace. So it's very... (laughs) It's very interesting with, uh, we'll just use stand-up comedy as an example because that's the thing I'm working on most right now uh, that is creative. And there's something about, you know, you hear quotes a lot about luck and that playing a big factor in your success. And I, I definitely believe that's true. And I think that luck is created through opportunity. And I believe that you create opportunities for yourself. So in other words, by showing up and working your ass off, you create more opportunities for yourself because you're exposing yourself to more people and you're just in your thing. Like you're in it more than someone else. You're going to 
op- more opportunities are going to come their, uh, your way um, just by being more actively involved in that thing that you're in. So if we're using creativity as an example, and, and for me, with the comedy stuff, it's, it's making sure that every single day you have structured time to actually write. Even if you don't have anything to write about, um, having that daily discipline to like get in front of your computer or that journal or whatever it is that you use to write, having that daily discipline is really what creates that mindset. And it doesn't really have to be a lot every day. Like Jerry Seinfeld is, is really big on this. He's like, you know what? I don't need to do a lot of writing every day, but I, I'm going to discipline myself to write at least one new joke every single day. And that could turn into five jokes in a day, but just the daily discipline of showing up and putting yourself in that mindset, it starts to become a habit and starts to become a mindset shift where, uh, you know, I just uh, got back from Orlando from a business trip. And sorry, this is an incredibly long-winded answer to your question, but I, I uh, just got back from Orlando on a business trip, and like my mind is working so much differently now because every single day for the last three months, I've been writing jokes and working on my material. So my mindset is 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 completely changed. I see jokes in everything. Like I'm always looking for opportunities and things to write jokes about. If I wasn't doing this on a daily basis, I don't think that I would have instilled that habit in my mind of that mindset shift of looking for opportunities to be creative instead of being like, you know what, I feel creative. I'm going to write today. Well, it's like, no, there is a part of the process I believe that you have to force. Am I making any sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. (laughs) This is tracking right out with what we've discussed in a couple of recent episodes, actually. Martin, since you started improv, what, eight, nine months ago now? What do you, I mean, do you agree with what he's saying, or or how have you felt similar or different? A hundred percent. I I think um, almost what the question is that we're getting at here, and this is something we've talked about in the past, which is um, everyone starts their life as a spectator, and then you become a participant, and then you become a creator. And what we're talking about here is how to go from participant to creator, almost. Um, and I think a big piece of that <clears throat> is. Uh, Jason, you said like it, it took you a while to admit to yourself that you're a creator. And I think it's only by doing these things, by having these daily habits and by putting yourself through all this stuff and doing it for a long enough period of time that you're not like you kind of get over the, oh, I'm just testing this or I'm dabbling. Like once it's part of you, then you're an actual creator. And so now that your entire worldview has changed, you are a creator because you're constantly thinking this way. You're not wishing that you could think this way. You are thinking this way. And with improv, the biggest thing I had to get past is the censorship bar in my brain. Um, It doesn't mean I say everything, and it doesn't mean that I never am mindful of what I'm saying, but it does mean that I look at everything through a lens of, oh, I should say yes and build on this thing. And that's what you learn in improv. And so it's it's kind of taking this like filter down almost and adding in a new Instagram filter of uh, of this perspective on the world almost. I love improv. Uh, I love that you brought this up because improv is, there's a lot of similarities to stand up and there's a ton of differences too in the type of creativity. Improv is extremely, extremely difficult for me because it requires you to be creative in the moment, <laughs> which there's a certain amount of that in standup, but there's also a lot of standup that you can pre-prepare for in terms of writing. Improv is a very hard thing 
to practice by yourself, <laughs> right? There's certain things that you can do in your head, but a lot of it is group oriented, which uh, for me, it, it made it extremely difficult to practice the craft. So I appreciate improv that much more and the people that can do really well because your mindset is even more important, I believe, in improv. Um, but I, I'd love to hear from you, like, what have you learned from doing improv, dude? Like, how has your life changed in the last eight or nine months since you've been doing it? So it's, it's changed. Well, he's finally enjoyable to be around. <laughs> <laughs> I would have thought it would be the opposite. I have been far more annoyed yeah, actually, since starting true. improv. <laughs> well, so like the first thing that changed was um, like when I took that filter off uh, and I just started saying like, oh, here's all the jokes that go through my head on a daily basis that I don't ever act on or I filter out or whatever. Um, you have to remove the no that's in your brain in order to actually get through a scene in improv. Because if, if, if you're second guessing what you're saying, then you're not going to say anything and then it's going to be dead space on stage, which actually could be very funny. But, <laughs> um, but for the most part, you have to remove the filter and just say things and see how people react. And so I think like initially when like I was in level two or something like that, a lot of, a lot of it was just like me being really annoying around people and just, uh, saying everything that came to me, every joke that popped into my head, like trying to say it. Um, and there's like a running joke in, in my apartment with my roommate where he's like, you know, 80% of the jokes that you make are awful, but that 20% is really good. And so, uh, if you can live through the 80%, you can enjoy the 20 is basically the, the way that I have to approach everything now and just know that most of it is going to suck, but I'm still going to try it anyway. Um, and when people say stop or people say no, because I've gotten that a lot, or people are like, uh, could you stop making jokes? Or like, oh, Martin's doing improv things again, like something like that. Uh, I just have to, and they say like, stop. I legit will just say, nope, going to keep going. Sorry. Like you can leave the room. Like you're, you're more than welcome to leave the room, but I'm going to keep uh, just, you know, my stream of consciousness going uh, because I need to, because it creates more material to pull from. And I think that that's like a big piece. If you aren't, like what you said, if you're not sitting down to write every day, there's not going to be enough material to pull from to have a final output at some point. I think everyone should create a, or should have to take an improv class <laughs> in their lifetime. It's like the points that you just made there, and especially I can totally relate with the confidence. And it's something that... I just being a naturally introverted person and growing up in a family where especially my dad was very big on, you know, being humble and not drawing extra attention to yourself of any type, you know, and what I learned through improv is that there's actually good, there's a good type of attention that you shouldn't be afraid to bring on yourself and the confidence to just say what is on your mind and being in an environment where that is actually encouraged. Like we only had one rule in the improv classes that I took. And it was that you can't make anyone else feel like a piece of shit. So you can't make fun of other people for putting themselves out there. That was the only rule. So don't be an asshole, basically. Which is the opposite of real life. <laughs> I was about to say. <laughs> yeah. If that were applied yeah, in real life. Yeah. Like, I'm literally at home, and I'm like, ba-ba-ba, and I just say something. And, like, everyone in the family just turns to me and goes, shut up, Martin. No, they just say, they just look at me. Like, it's just silence. And they go... <laughs> Really? Like that, that phrase, like, really? is like, oh, it's, yeah. like the, it's like the hardest thing to get through. <laughs> have you watched Here's, the, uh, 
Have you gotten to the improv part of BoJack Horseman? No, I've not. Oh, but I'm man, excited. it's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> they actually they rip on improv in that show. Oh yeah, because it's so easy to rip on. Because like, the first thing I ever did, and the whole reason I'm even doing comedy today is thanks to Raj. Uh, on the road trip a little over a year ago, we were sitting there listening to uh, Comedy Central on on the radio, the stand up, and I was like, oh man, it would be so cool to do stand up comedy and. In, in the way that we do things, you're like, well, now you have to go do stand-up comedy. And I'm like, crap. And so I remember, like, the first thing I tried was stand-up, and I had, like, the worst two days ever leading up to doing imp- or doing stand-up for the first time. I, like, woke up that morning, tore up every joke that I'd written over the past three months, started from scratch at 11 a.m., spent the entire day just sweating, and then, like, came up with four minutes material. That's because you were bench pressing. Yeah, of course. I mean, I'm such a workout-aholic. Um, workout-aholic. And, uh, and so I get to the, the thing and, like, practice. And, like, you know, my friend, my friend, like, calmly walks in. He, like, just created a set easily because he's brilliant at comedy. But um, we get up on stage and it's just, like, by the time... By the time I, like, finished it, I was like, that was awesome. But that was the most terrifying thing ever. I'm much better at just walking into a room with a bunch of supportive people and doing random things than I am the long preparation cycle. And so I actually see that with everything like this podcast, we don't prepare. We didn't even have a question ready at the beginning (laughs) of this podcast. Like that's improv. We were doing that before I even thought about going to improv classes. And that's kind of like my favorite thing about this. When I was working at Startup Institute, my favorite thing was I'd get there and they'd be like, oh, you're presenting. And I'm like, what? Like, here's the deck. And I wouldn't even look at the deck. I would just pull up the slides and be like, all right, this is what I think this slide's about. And I would just give a presentation um, that I'd never seen before. And I I love that stuff. Um, Whereas if I would try to write another comedy, like, stand-up set, I would probably spend three months just beating myself up before ever getting up on stage. So you bring up a ton of interesting points I want to comment on there. The first one I was going to say, along the confidence deal that we were talking about is I think of improv a lot like practicing a mentality like for a basketball player for example like we look at Michael Jordan guy shoots 50% from the field so he misses one out of every two shots that he takes so in a game where he's having a night where maybe he misses the first 10 shots he still has the same amount of confidence shooting those first 10 as he is going to have shooting the 11th shot that's way more yeah. that's way more Kobe than Michael <laughs> yeah, Michael didn't miss ten yeah. shots in a row. <laughs> yeah, Kobe is a better example to use. Uh, or, or guys that find themselves in a, a you know taking a shot, game winning shot situation, and maybe they haven't had a good game, but having that amount of confidence. I think improv practices that skill. It's you're going to do a, a set. You know, in the teams that I performed with, we do like a 15 minute set with 10 people, and you know what? Two thirds of what I do and say is is not funny. People don't laugh at it, but that one out of three times I get a laugh is because I approached it with the same amount of confidence and said what was on my mind as I did the other two times. Mm-hmm. And that took me three or four classes to get that part down, though. Right. And I think that's the part of comedy that I love and the part I love about stand up is that everything I've done is, is more to get immediate feedback. You know, so I don't spend a lot of time, and, I learned, and I've learned this through taking stand up classes. Is, I don't spend a ton of time writing material before I test it on an open mic. So like repetition on a daily basis is so much more important than spending huge chunks and blocks of time. And this is huge with, with writing. 
especially for business, if you've got a blog post or whatever it might be, is getting more feedback on the things that you're doing in a quicker fashion instead of laboring really intensively into something and then psyching yourself out. You know, so it's like right now I just try to write uh, a couple jokes a week and then test all of them out in three or four open mics over the course of that week so that I'm really building confidence on stage and becoming more comfortable on stage sharing new material. That's really the part that I'm practicing more so than really trying to like really blow it up and like be a big hit at the open mic itself. So it's been a really good teacher of learning how to be comfortable and being just as confident in stuff that you're presenting for the first time that no one's ever heard versus stuff that you know is going to get a laugh. And that is a huge skill. Uh, I think that's, that's very important. And then it's also something I know that a lot of even really, really experienced professional comedians struggle with. You know, so it's an ongoing process in creativity. I think the biggest thing is overcoming that confidence barrier, which is a, which I think repetition in the daily do, I call it, I think it helps build that confidence in yourself. Yeah, I really like that perspective. I've never thought of stand-up from that mindset. And now there's a new mountain I need to climb. Damn it. <laughs> well, I was listening to uh, an interview that's really, really good. I'm a huge fan of Whitney Cummings. I don't know if you guys know who oh, she she's is. hilarious, yeah. Yeah. She's freaking hilarious, and I think she's pretty hot too. And uh, <laughs> she was she was interviewed on Tim Ferriss's podcast, and yeah, I didn't I didn't know that she was interviewed episode. on this podcast. And she he asked her a question. He said, "If you if you were working with a new stand up comedian, you had eight weeks to get them ready for a five minute set. What would you do?" She's like, "Well, the first thing I'd say is get on stage day number one. I don't care if you have material or not, and then get on stage every single day after that." Mm-hmm. I was like, "Wow, that's that's." Very, it's a very interesting way of looking at it because I know exactly the, the nerves that you talked about that you had. <laughs> like I get that every day that I do an open mic. That's how I feel the entire day. I'm extremely nervous. And then I did a, a showcase at the end of my class two weeks ago and it went pretty well. And now it's giving me a different perspective of, you know, that's actually not what you're trying to do on a daily basis with your comedy you're just trying to write a little bit and get a, get feedback on it. It doesn't even have to be good. If it's bad and you get bad feedback, that's just as good as getting good feedback. Because that's the biggest thing with stand-up at least, and I think with all creativity, is there's a certain amount you do for yourself, but there's a certain amount you have to do for the audience too, right? You're there to put on a show. And finding out what doesn't work is just as important as finding out what does work. And if you kind of change your goals and your mentality, and I'm learning this from my most uh, – I'm taking a stand-up class right now too, and my instructor Alex, like he's talking about that, is like you should have a specific goal for every open mic that you go to that's not related to how many laughs that you get. It should be I'm going to work on this joke, and I'm going to see if the premise that I'm bringing up, I'm going to see and look at people's faces and see if people are interested in this. It reminded me so much of, and this is what I love about comedy, is the direct correlation with business. It reminded me so much of validating an idea. Right? It's like, don't spend months and months and months building a business before you know if people want it or not. Like, you can validate an idea in, in a day, in a couple hours, you can do that if you really want to. But I've noticed that comedy, you kind of take that same approach. And to kind of bring this conversation full circle with creativity, I believe that creativity can be, it can be intentional. I don't think that you are just creative when creativity sparks. Like when you feel that spark of creativity, I think you can be very intentional about it. And I think you can be very, very structured with creativity too. Yeah. I heard a quote once and I, I don't know who said it, but it was, um, 
I, I, only, I only write when inspiration hits. Thankfully, it hits at 9 a.m. every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I do think that the repetition is such a big piece. Like, I only do, you know, I only have class once a week, right? And I'm not performing improv or anything. I'm just, I'm still learning. I'm still a student. Um, and so then a week passes in between. And then in between sessions, sometimes two weeks pass. And uh, the last class I went to, um, it had been like two or three weeks since I'd done improv. And I got up there and I just, I, I legit was just paralyzed again. I'm like, I feel like I'm in level one all of a sudden. So we have a new yeah. exercise to do, and I haven't done this in three weeks. And I was just, you know, petrified uh, with a new group of people, all new faces, no comfort, right? And I think that mm -hmm. having that repetition, like I don't have the ability right now to go do improv at I.O. every night. Um, there's just, first of all, there's not a stage for me to get on. And second of all, like, you know, I can't buy classes every day because it's just not how it works. So I've had to start seeking out other places to find that repetition. And what I've started doing is like making videos, making content every day, um, which is kind of me practicing improv by myself, um, doing like dramatic readings, practicing characters, or just annoying my friends and family, you know, either way. Um, but trying to get that repetition however I can. Yeah, that's that's super important. The, the thing that I think with improv that is very cool, and that's that skill again, is that you're, you're practicing being comfortable with being uncomfortable. And I know that we talk about that a lot in the entrepreneurship circle of uh, pushing yourself outside your comfort zone. Well, that's really easy to talk about doing, right? But improv forces you to actually do that. And no matter how good you get at improv, you're still going to be in situations where that's the whole point of improv is you don't know what you're going to be joking about. You don't know what you're going to be doing scenes about. Practicing being in the moment with things that you're uncomfortable with is a huge, huge skill, especially for anyone that's doing any sort of performance. A sales call is a performance too <laughs> with a client, right? So any type of performance where you don't quite know what's going to happen, what I'm learning is just that a lot of these guys are scared shitless before they get on stage when they do this stuff. Even the professionals are because they don't know what to expect. But you know what? They like that. They like that feeling. They thrive off that feeling. So let's dig into the fear a bit. I'm actually curious, Raj, like we've had moments where I've like pushed you to freestyle in front of a group of people that you've never freestyled in front of <laughs> and stuff like that. How are those moments, how do those moments feel and where do you see that kind of come out elsewhere? All right, 25 minutes in and I'm going to talk. <laughs> I was, in my head, I was like, I think I'm reaching my limit of just listening. <laughs> I'm going to need to continue. Well, I, well, I saw it in your face. I found a way to ship it. <laughs> um... Yeah, the freestyle thing is interesting because it's not something I really honestly know how to do. And I, this is kind of a tell here, but a few weeks ago, I bought an online course on learning to freestyle rap because I'm like, I don't think I'm going to learn it on my own otherwise. What's the difference between improv and stand up, right? Freestyle or pre Yeah, exactly. Rappers. Totally. So um, my thing with freestyling is I, the, get, do, rhyming is not the issue. It's how do I connect the sentences in between? And that's where I would, that's where I always have stumbled is, you know, I can think of, you know, like Jason Bay rhymes with fade away, right? That's not hard for me to do. It's why is Jason fading away? Because <laughs> he used to be a point guard in high school, <laughs> <laughs> um, which means he would have passed the ball to the fading away. That's neither here nor there. <laughs> um, Especially not here because it faded away. <laughs> 
But if I, you know, I, I can off the top of my head know that immediately think Jason Bay rhymes with fadeaway, but it's how do I come up with those words in between and then not stumble over what I'm saying to get to the, to the rhyme. Um, and that, that's where I struggle with. And that's where I get, when I get put on the spot, I'm like, shit. Uh, and I will do a lot more just like, I call them like Humpty Dumpty rhymes where it's just like cat, hat, bat, sad, that kind of stuff. Just really we just go, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a obscure Eminem Dr. Dre reference. <laughs> or an obscure actually that was on the video uh that you made for Bay. <laughs> oh that's right. <laughs> uh, yeah. That was pretty sweet, by the way. Which by the way got the most views of anything Idea Lemon has ever made. Yeah, there was like six, seven hundred views on that video. So bravo to the two of you for that. So in any case, um, yeah, I get that moment of like, crap, I'm put on the spot here, and now this is a representation of my ability as a rapper, even though I don't think it's a fair representation of my ability as a rapper, and people are about to be disappointed. Ooh, disappointing the audience. <laughs> How do we feel about that, audience, listening right now? Are you disappointed? <laughs> well, obviously, it's not a good feeling, um, but... So Jason, back to your, one of your original points, the repetition is going to help with that. And I, while I bought that freestyling course, I haven't started it yet. And once I started, it's like, okay, I got to start working on this every single day. And part of that comes with, um, I, I think what helps with repetition is having some type of accountability or even an audience. So with all my yoga, like I turned my Instagram into an entirely yoga account or rapping yoga account, I should say, at Raj Nation, cheap one, as if people didn't know that already. <laughs> and that's like my indication to have something like, and people want, people can say like the Instagram world is vain and everything, which you know, maybe a lot of it is, but it's also my means of accountability to do something within yoga every day. And post that photo or post that video of me rapping while in a pose. Or like the other day was me doing these several arm balances in a row while singing I Believe I Can Fly by R. Kelly, which was super fun. <laughs> um, it's those kinds of things that are keeping me honest and accountable to the craft that I'm practicing. Um, and now, you know, now as a teacher as well, I think it's important to to be doing something that promotes yourself as a teacher. And then on top of that, I recently created the, faith, the private Facebook group of people who want to improve their yoga practice. And for me, that's, I mean, not only a way to you know, promote myself, but more than that, it's a hub now where when I'm not physically teaching, I still have an opportunity to teach people because I'm posting videos and photos of, hey, here's how you do this pose. And it's, it's making me a better teacher and allowing me to practice the art of teaching yoga, even if I'm not in front of a studio with people live. Yeah, the what you bring up is a very interesting point because I, I've deleted my Instagram account like four times. I'm on my fourth Instagram account, and I've deleted Snapchat a couple times too. And and what you said about promoting yourself and not being afraid to do that is extremely important because I always looked at social media. And as something I, n I never really posted to, I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty, 
private person when it comes to my personal life, but there's a certain amount of it that you look at, like what you're doing with your yoga thing, what I'm doing with stand-up and Martin, what you're doing with improv is extremely inspirational to other people. And I care a lot about inspiring other people to do good things in life. If, if I can inspire people to not do bad things, you know, and complain about stuff or go down the, the, a bad route of illegal activities, <laughs> insert whatever illegal activities you want, like that's a huge win. <laughs> that's so fun though. Uh, <laughs> Everyone just keeps flooring it. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I, I think that it, like knowing that people are looking at and being inspired by your journey and looking at like what you're doing with the yoga stuff and, and the improv stuff, Martin, and then like what I'm doing with stand-up, these are all three th- things that a lot of people wish they would do that just don't do, right? Because they don't have the courage to do it or they're too scared to do it or whatever it might be. So I've looked at social media in a, a completely different light now too and then it's like, dude, it's okay to tell people about my goals to, be, uh, to become a stand-up comedian and to post like my status and what I'm doing, like people care about that stuff. And I'm not doing it in a way where I am trying to draw attention to myself in terms of, hey, look at me, I'm doing this. It's like, hey, I'm using this for accountability and I think this would inspire a lot of people. There's a lot of good in what I'm doing. So that mindset shift for me has helped me actually be more creative and more open by just taking a different perspective. It's like, if you don't like what I'm doing, Fucking delete me off your Facebook friends then. I don't really give a shit if you don't like this. There's enough people that are supporting me and behind this that I just, like, I, I feel good about it. You know, and I think that's the good thing about social media is that it can connect you in that way with people. And you'll see a lot of people come out of the woodwork that you didn't really knew, I uh, didn't really know, excuse me, were supportive of you when they actually were. Like I'm getting so much support right now for the stand-up stuff and just people texting me and you know writing me on Facebook or whatever like, dude, this is really cool. Keep it up. I didn't know that there was that many people out there that were going to be that supportive. And I think that we tend to underestimate. And I think that's a huge hindrance to creativity is not having a good support circle and a good support system of people that are going to support you no matter what you do. And that's what I love about improv is that you can get in a group with 10 to 15 people, everyone is there to look out for each other and you're in an incredibly supportive group where you can get goofy as hell and it's like the most, it's probably the most fun I've ever had in my entire life was during improv classes. It also, the idea of, like Jason, you've been posting your stuff online, it puts a lot of people in your corner. Yeah. and like me, like I was posting my, 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 all my knee surgery recovery and I, you know, I'm still going through physical therapy now, so it's still recovery. But, um, the fact that then, you know, our friend Michelle sends me a card and she's like, I mean, it was a thank you card for a couple other things, but amidst that she was like, thanks for inspiring me and others with your hashtag Raj to recovery. And I'm like, sweet. It's helpful to other people to see this stuff. And it's putting people like, it's encourage me, encouraging me and it's encouraging you to do more of that thing. Like if you were, yeah. if you didn't post, you were doing standup online. And then by the way, like off the bat, you're like, I'm planning to do a hundred, a hundred standup sets. And I was like, holy crap, that's yeah. aggressive and ambitious and good for you. And if you hadn't posted that and then posted your showcase from a few weeks ago, which I'll be honest, it was funny. <laughs> you know, like I watched it and I'm like, damn, like he's got a lot of potential here. And I, and I, and then I texted you afterwards and I was like, dude, this was good, and I'm really looking forward to what happens by set 100. That doesn't then beget us 
having you know two two hour hour long phone calls last weekend, which then let, leads to us doing this podcast to talk about this, and that's mm-hmm. I think the importance is of putting your shit out there, whether it's good or not. It, people, there are people who are going to be haters no matter what, but generally people want to see you succeed and will do the things to try and help you, help move you in that direction. And if they don't, who cares about those people? Yeah. <laughs> like, I think that's the hard thing about doing anything creative where you're putting yourself out there is, I think there's a fear of rejection. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, I have it just like anyone else does, that fear of not being accepted. And you know what? What's the worst thing that's going to happen? As you put yourself out there, you're doing improv or stand-up or whatever, and you're not funny. And, then, and, and no one thinks that what you're doing is, is funny. But look at how much you've learned and changed as a person, uh, Martin, from doing that, you know, with no, improv. I'm not funny, and I've still <laughs> changed as a person. It's wonderful. <laughs> it's actually really amazing. Once I realized that I'm not that funny, I was able to kind of let go and just go with the, the <laughs> go with the flow of things. And I actually kind of legitimately mean that where it's like I I went I've done one actual show in front of people. And it was awful. I, I just totally did not do well. Like I got up on stage and forgot how to speak English and it was like twenty minutes. It went by in about like three seconds and then I got down. We all got back in the car and drove the two hours back to the city and I, like no one said anything about the set. And we just did like mad. We did like mad libs in the car. Like we're like dramatic mad libs in the car. That's that's what we're gonna do to pass the time. And that was fun. Um, but the point is, it's just like, and it goes with everything. Like it's it's about taking chances on stuff. And I think just knowing myself and knowing where over the years I've like prohibited myself from trying things or you know, reaching out to that person or asking that person out on a date or whatever the thing is, right? There's all sorts of things that if you don't have the confidence, you just won't act on. Um, and that's how you end up, you know, living a life that you don't want. Um, this has just been sort of a, a snowball effect of like every year, I just like feel like I can do more of the things that pop into my head. And I think that's what we're all striving for, right? Like we all have goals of what we wish our life is going to be like five years from now, whether they're concrete or just ambiguous in our brain and our dreams or whatever. But there are some seriously tangible things you have to do to get from today to that point. And how do you actually accomplish those things if you're scared? And so all of the things we're talking about here is just incrementally every day breaking down that fear. Like every Instagram post makes it less scary to post the next one. And we've talked about that in the past. Like, if you have one thing out there, it's the only thing people can judge. If you have a hundred stand-up sets, you know, maybe one of them's really good. That one's going to naturally go to the top. Like, no one's going to click on the one that's crappy after a while. They're only going to click on the one that has the most likes or whatever. And so the good stuff naturally, like, flows to the top. And the, and the mediocre stuff just kind of sits there and either becomes a nice baseline of everything that you do in your life. Or disappears because you can just like get rid of it if it's really truly bad. A few things from that. Number one, this kind of aligns perfectly with something that our, our collective friend Daniel DiPiazza posted on Facebook the other day, which is the idea of volume over perfection. And too many people, like you were saying, Jason, like wait for it to be perfect before releasing it. But 
fact is when getting started, volume matters more. Like you're not good enough yet to, to worry about perfection and volume. And if you just keep cranking out more and more of whatever that creative piece is, you will get to the point where perfection actually matters. And he had kind of related it back to Little Wayne in the mid 2000s, put out so many mixtapes and he, you know, and he, he had like a hundred new songs in a year, probably more than that. And he even had a recording studio on his tour bus so he could just write something, go, go in his you know, mobile studio. He and didn't record. write. He just got in front of mics and talked. Or even that, yeah. Sometimes, yeah, he was, yeah. I don't think he wrote things down. He just got in there. Um, maybe. I don't, know how, I don't know what his style is, but uh, he might just freestyle. Uh, but, you know, and uh, the fact is a lot of the songs he put out were duds, but... And this is the first time, really, I think I've ever like defended Little Wayne in my life, because <laughs> um, I used to really hate him. Um, but with that, when he puts out a hundred songs, like five of them end up becoming mega successful. And I actually, this whole day, I've been listening to just one Little Wayne song on repeat from one of those mixtapes because I like forgot it existed, and I was like, oh man, that song was really good. Uh, it's uh, something you forgot. That's all I could do, mama. I hope you hear me. Pain, since I've lost you, I'm lost too. Nigga feeling like he at the bottom like a horseshoe. Sorry for the trouble that I put you in your heart too. God knows that I do anything for the part And that song doesn't come out unless he like pushes through the shit of like you know 70 80 other songs that just are yeah whatever that you can skip those so the idea of um as daniel put it was you're not good enough yet to care about perfection that's a that's a mindset i think a lot of people need to embrace <laughs> yeah that that reminds me of i heard something a while back where it's like the first like if you if you want to be a writer just remember that the first book you publish is going to set the standard of what people think of everything else that you put out there. And I remember hearing that and being like, oh, well, then I'm never going to publish anything because that's terrifying. And I, maybe that's why I don't write because like, I know I write so little that anything that I put out there and publish is going to be the only thing that represents my writing style. But with this kind of stuff, I feel like you can crank out videos at a or at least I personally am able to crank out videos at a much higher rate than I would a blog post or something like that. And so that is really interesting because it is, it's almost like Gary Vaynerchuk has a, has a thing that he's been pushing lately, which is if you want to be on Instagram and you want to be doing Snapchat and you want to be in this content world, you need to be posting eight to 20 times per day to be relevant. And the person he was telling that to is like, how the hell am I going to create eight to 20 things per day? And he goes, you have to stop creating and you have to start documenting the process. And so if you think about like, you know, Instagram stories, it's like you have the final product, which might only come up. Like I follow this one artist and he posts these just amazing paintings. Each frame is just an amazing painting. It probably takes him weeks to months to make each one of those paintings. But then if you look at the Snapchat or the, the Instagram stories, I get to see him actually painting it. I get to see the process of it. It's like the behind the scenes of the movie. Right? It's like the final product and then the behind the scenes. And so if you want to stay relevant, you have to have both. You have to have good finished products at some point, and you have to have all the individual pieces leading up in this kind of 
mass content world. Well, and so that actually brings up the other thing I wanted to discuss, which is the fact that when you make it public, you do now have archived, you have your information and you have your work archived and you can actually see if you're improving or not, which most likely if you keep doing it, you will improve. I look back to like last summer when I had only been doing yoga for a couple months, I was doing those um, videos of rapping while doing yoga just for a, a contest at a, at a ramen restaurant to win free ramen for a year. And like, like that's, what, that's what got me started in posting videos online or posting yoga videos on Instagram. And what's funny is like I go, I've, I've gone back and looked at those and I can see the difference between, like I'm doing a lot of the same, there's only so many poses you can do, right? So I'm doing like crow pose then and I'm doing crow pose now, but me rapping crow pose then, I can see in the video, I'm like gasping for breath and like my facial expressions are like all wonky because I'm trying to rap while doing something incredibly difficult in holding, you know, holding yourself up on your arms. And then like now, a year and change later of practicing yoga pretty much every day, I'm looking at the video and I'm like, hey, I'm able to hold myself up and actually maintain composure whilst rapping and doing this. So that's pretty cool that I've, I've, I've gotten at, at the very unique skill set of rapping while doing yoga, I've gotten better at that. And I wouldn't be able to see that progress had there been no, had there been no you know, public documentation of it. And I wouldn't have been encouraged to keep doing it without, you know, I'll admit it, like getting the likes on it is nice. And I'm like, okay, more people are responding to something like that. Can I, should I do more things like that? I love what you guys are talking about here because you guys are talking about what goes on behind the scenes. It's the mystery behind success that in our space, in the online marketing space, it's the most frustrating thing to me is that a lot of people do not talk about what you guys just talked about. They talk about the hundreds of thousands of dollars and the millions of dollars that they're making now and they try to pitch that. You can have this. They don't talk about the journey that they went through in order to accomplish that. Uh, one documentary that I really recommend um, people watch is it's called The Comedian. It's about Jerry Seinfeld. So good. It, oh, God, dude. It documents the year after he stopped doing the TV show Seinfeld, which is one of the most successful TV shows ever that he decided to stop. They didn't stop because, it, because the show sucked. Uh, so he walked away and he documented a year journey of him putting together a one hour special. And that really put things in perspective for me because he talked about it taking about three or four months of him getting up on stage. And in this documentary, you see Jerry Seinfeld bomb in front of people. You see him forget jokes, literally 30 seconds of silence going by and him being like, um, what was it again? What was I going to joke about? You see this. And he said it took three or four months for him to put together his first 20 minutes of material for his one hour special. And you know what? I was like, I don't feel so bad about only having three or four minutes worth of good material in six weeks for my last showcase that I did. I don't feel that bad about that when it takes Jerry Seinfeld three to four months to put together 20 good solid minutes. And I've heard a lot of comedians talk about how it takes them a year on the road to put together their one hour special. Yeah. That puts it in perspective. That's how long it takes and that's how much bombing and experimenting that they do in order to come out with 60 minutes worth of material. And I think it's, it's insane. Amazing. I think it's amazing how the culture has changed too. Because when he came out with that, what was that? 2001? 2001 or something like that? Yep. It bombed. That documentary bombed. Hardcore. I remember watching it with my family and being like, this isn't funny. 
me. What are we watching? Like, we are huge Seinfeld fans. And we're like, yeah. why is he not being Seinfeld funny? <laughs> like, we were really confused. Like, the, we, like, right before we watched that, we watched his um, HBO special where he, like, had the coffin and buried all his jokes. And we're like, why can't he do those jokes again? And, like, and, and now looking at it, it's like, that is, pro like, he was ahead of his time even with that because now everyone who's making content, like the Gary V's of the world, like it's all about the process. It's all about the hard work and the hustle because we have so many like, I don't know, 21 year olds who like take, I saw a video on Instagram the other day and it was this like t maybe 17 to 21 year old girl just like with a pile of money on the floor laying on top of it. And she's like, you can make this much money in one day just using your phone. And I was like, what the hell is this? Like, this is like success blog or some shit like that. And I was just like, it's, it's that whole like world of like, you just went and took a bunch of money out of the bank, put it on the floor and I have to go put it back in the bank because you don't actually have that money. Um, just to like make the perception that you're doing amazing things and making a ton of money or you're like selling drugs or something. Who knows? But the... <laughs> it's called a burner phone. Yeah, exactly. But like, <laughs> yeah. There's, there's like, I, I, there's so much more trust and there's so much more, I think, so much more interesting things to learn from the people who are just like showing you them bombing and showing you all of the hard work that goes into it. Like I listened to the You Made a Weird podcast with, um, he interviewed... Oh, shoot, who's the guy? Uh, he's like the new Jerry Seinfeld. Um, I think I was uh, Maloney, or he had, he had a no he had a TV show that did not do well. Paul Maloney? Um, no, that's Paul Blart. Damn it! Uh, <laughs> oh, all right. I'm I'm not remembering. Who I know who you're talking Mahoney. about. Mahoney. Mahoney. Anyway, yeah, it's something. John Mahoney. Mahoney. John Mahoney. Uh, John Mahoney. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Like an idiot. All right. John Mulaney. So John Mulaney, who is amazing and his stand-up is so fantastic, like his show didn't do well. And the entire like two hours of this conversation on the You Made a Weird podcast was like just jokes about how it didn't go well, but then like real conversations about what that's like and how he tried to do all these things and how he met Seinfeld at the end of it and like all this crazy stuff that went into this whole story. I'm like, this is way more interesting than watching a final product. Like I would rather listen to this show every day then watch a, a well-produced sitcom. Like I find that far more interesting. This whole conversation is, is uh, making me realize also with creativity, I feel a very important part of uh, being a good creative is practicing empathy. And people will not empathize with you unless they can relate with you. People are not gonna relate with someone that is so accomplished. They're not gonna relate with that part of like, I don't relate to Jerry Seinfeld, the celebrity part of his life. I don't relate to I'm not a celebrity. But you know the part that I do relate to? Getting on stage and bombing mm. and feeling like a piece of shit afterwards. <laughs> I relate to that. I've done that before. Or doing something and failing at it. Like, I relate to that. Mm -hmm. That's what I love about stand-up is that you, even the really, really good guys, Jerry Seinfeld, arguably one of the best comedians to ever live that we've ever seen, bombs on stage still when he's practicing new material yeah it's um it's it's almost comforting right <laughs> yep yep and i think that creativity is something that like that documentary is such a great example of creativity is also just like create i'm going to use humor and creativity interchangeably here it's also something that 
a lot of these guys tune into. Jerry Seinfeld is not a riot all of the time. That's not how stand-up comedians are. They're not always a riot and always funny. You know, Kevin Hart is, <laughs> or he seems like it at least, right? But most people are, are not like that. So it's, it's, I think creativity is something for a lot of people, especially for myself, that you, know, you can tune into different parts of your brain. You don't have to be creative all the time. Or just because you don't think you're funny or creative all of the time doesn't mean that you wouldn't be a good creative or a good comedian or, or artist or whatever it might be. Like you can tune into things like that too, just like what Jerry Seinfeld does. And that documentary, I, I, don't know, I still recommend it to anyone doing anything creative. It would be a huge eye-opener for what the, the quote-unquote professionals go through also. It's the same process. They've just done it for, in his case, like close to 40 years now. Something I want to just kind of give a lens into um, is the, so what happens after you get started kind of thing is, huh? and I'll just kind of give my insight from the song creation process. So I agree, it's like at the beginning, volume matters more than perfection. And if you go back and listen to my early stuff from years ago, it, like the production on it's not too great and there's just like a lot of mistakes in it. Um, like on my first mixtape, uh, the finished version had like the chorus incorrectly timed with the beat at like one part of one of the songs. <laughs> like, oh, shit. Blasphemous. <laughs> that happened. Um, but, you know, it's been... For me, it's been, what, maybe 12 years of writing raps and now six to seven years of recording raps. So I'm at the point where, of recording music, so now I'm at the point where it's not about um, just straight pump out volume and quality doesn't matter. Now it's... Pump up the volume. <laughs> now it's, no, <laughs> let me like, let me get this to perfection and and put it out. Because um, that is what you will naturally start to get towards. Um, the more you do something is you don't just, you don't just continue to put out like low quality work forever. You, well, you could, <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, hopefully that that's not the case. Yeah. And you know, like my process, which, you know, I don't know about other rappers processes, but maybe they're similar as well. Like when you hear a finished song from me at this point, I have recorded each of those verses at least 30 times. And the hook probably another 30 times because it's like the first 10 takes or so I'm just like getting, I'm getting it out of my system that these are the words that I'm rapping and reading off the notebook in which I wrote it. After that, it's like, all right, now I've memorized the lines. So let me get through those takes. And then it's like, then beyond that, maybe the last 10, 15 takes are, let me do this. I'm doing this off memory now. And with the, let me get the emotion I want to into each of these lines. And that's what starts to happen is you, you go from, it changes from the fact of, oh, I'm creating a song. This is a new thing to me, to how can I make this sound the best way? How can I make this sound the way I want it to sound? And that's, that's, sort, of, that's sort of like the leap that you start to take. Um, like right now I'm working on this, uh, this Hamilton cover album, cover and remix album. And some of those songs that I've, I've probably worked on like eight of the songs so far, some of them take me an entire day to do. And I'm, you, I'm doing this like just one song, but it takes me an entire day to figure out the voices I want to like embody, um, the way I want to say them, getting the, the intonation and the cadence down and then doing the voice overs properly, all that stuff. Um, 
And it may sound like crazy that it takes a day to put down a three-minute song, but sometimes that is what, what you have to do um, when you want it to sound the way you want it to sound. Uh, and you want to get to that, you want to almost like get to that next level. Uh, even, I, I may have mentioned this on one of our previous episodes because I talk about Hamilton all the time, but the creator, Lin-Manuel Miranda, he's in his 60 Minutes interview, he said it took him a year to write my shot because every, he said every couplet had to be the best couplet I have ever written. And if you listen to that song, like it's, it's like essentially musical perfection with the lyrics combined with the music behind it. And what's interesting to like start to get a window into, I think with music is what are the, like, what are the verses and what are the lines that people have thrown away? Cause there's so many like verses that I've recorded that I've, I've never actually put on the final track because I'm like, nah, I don't like it. It's not flowing well. Or there's four lines that are different at the end or four lines that are different at the beginning. Um, like pipe bomb. This is not my a microphone. This is a song. pipe bomb. Stay awake late. I will even leave the light on. Order in the quorum for the floor in the forum. Pouring through my pores, pores, and I'm cutting out the chorus. I am such a force, but I'm known to be ignored. Believer in a pen and a voice than the sword. More important words. This is more than a hype song. Not your cup of tea, bitch. Suck my pipe bomb. Pipe bomb. Pipe bomb. Pipe bomb. The introduction for that originally was something totally different and it was like a mock setup of Bob Costas interviewing me. And then I was like, I, I did like a bunch of takes of that and I was like, no, this is this is not, I, I can't put this out. This is not what I'm trying to accomplish with this. It was just what was like easy and what came to me first. But you keep doing it and then you get to that point of, all right, here's what I really want it to be. So that is, you know, that's kind of like my insight into once you get past the initial jitters of just doing something, that's where I start to get into the mindset of it's not just about pumping out um, quantity. Now it's let me raise the bar on quality. You think about how great of a metaphor that is for life, dude. But this is what I, again, the intersection I see with comedy and business and just life, like success skills, is that your ability to start doing something knowing that you're not good at it and being able to deal with that knowing that going through that process is what it actually takes to achieve perfection or close to perfection and doing things like stand-up comedy, improv or rapping or writing songs or whatever it might be, you get to go through that process on a daily basis. If you choose to, to practice for life, like imagine if more people would take that approach with their career instead of not taking any action because you're unsure what to do. You approach it more like, you know what, I'm just going to try a lot of things and see how they go and see what I enjoy doing, see what comes natural to me. Like if, if, if more people took that approach to their career, I think they'd be a lot happier. It teaches you about process and it teaches you about patience. Yep. I think too many people are looking for overnight success and overnight solutions to things. But if you it's you like, dude, find something that, that you could put the, the time into. What's that? But if you direct message that girl laying on a pile of money, you can, you can make millions of dollars on your phone. So, <laughs> And it's like insert Lambo or whatever you want to do, right, in yeah. place of that money. There's so many other people promising things like that. And I just have never been – I've never looked for things like that. And this is the most appealing thing to stand-up comedy uh, to me is that it's one of the first things I've come across in life where I can actually see the process of what it takes to get better. I can see people that are where I want to be and I know exactly how to get there. It's just time. And 
I've always been one of those guys that's, that's more the tortoise than the hare. I'm willing to do the daily action. I'm willing to do that. And it's very clear in, in a lot of creative fields, it's, the path to success is, is much more clear than, for, for me personally, than, than with business. There's so many other variables with business and like all these other things, but like stand-up comedy in particular, I'm like, there's a very clear path on how you can make it. Not, you yeah, know, like Kevin Hart's status. Yeah, you know, like not Kevin Hart's status, but, you, you know, like anyone that's headlining at any of your local big cities, you know, like those type of people. But I love that about, about creativity. And I, I think that that, like to answer our original question, like to me, that's a creativity is a lot about being willing to start and knowing that you're not going to be perfect and going through that process and finding a support group and then just taking daily action. Small daily action compounded over time is so much more powerful than saying, you know what, I'm just going to rip out a ton of work this weekend or on this day every month. Like touching something a little bit every day, I think is really, really key. Yeah. And I think we're all choosing things that never get easier. Like, sure, it gets yeah. easier than day one, but as you said, like Seinfeld still will bomb sometimes. So it never gets stand up, never gets easy because you're constantly having to come up with new stuff, which is just like day one. Uh, improv is never easy because you don't know what's coming your way. Rapping is never easy because once you master, you know, the flow of that thing, you then need to figure out how to put music behind it or whatever. Like there's always something new and even like digital marketing, which is what I love. Like there's always a new technology or a new app or a new thing to learn. And I just love the fact that whatever I'm working on, there's never going to be a moment where I'm like, all right, now I know it all. Like, I just know that there will always be something new and surprising that will catch me off guard. And if I just live my life knowing that that's the case and that nothing will ever get easier, I can kind of just embrace that tortoise process that you talked about. And yep. with so that idea of the process is you've got to enjoy that process. Like it may take me a full day to make one song, but I don't want to be doing anything else that whole day. You know, it's, it's not, it's not a chore that I've had that I have to do that or that I want to do that because it is something I choose to do. I could put out a shitty version of it if I wanted to, but I'd rather spend yeah. all that time and watch another boat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and what was the other thing you mentioned, Martin? there's always something new that will catch you off guard? Yeah, no, the, uh, the, it's never done or it never gets easier. What I find fascinating, um, particularly with hip hop, is do you know how rare it is and how much of like an oh my God event it is when two different rappers use the same rhymes? Like, like when, if Jay-Z uses a Biggie line, people know he used a Biggie line. Just, and that just fascinates me about language that think of the different combinations of ways you can put words together and make them rhyme and how rarely they are actually like crossing over one another from artist to artist or even an artist within his own catalog rarely reuses his or her own uh, rhymes over and over again. Except for la di da di Yeah. Like <laughs> except for that. Or except <laughs> if you're Mike Jones and you just say your name a million times. <laughs> Mike Jones. <laughs> Who? I don't Mike know. Jones. <laughs> uh, all right, Jason, we got to wrap up. Uh, before we do... Let our listeners know um, where they can find you and uh, I guess particularly where they can find your, your new stand-up comedy work. Uh, I would say the best place to connect with me if you're interested in, in listening to uh, interviews with young entrepreneurs, it would be genysuccess.com. 
And uh, more of my other consulting work is um, the marketing consulting work I do is at jasondebay.com. So if you're interested in more of that type of stuff. Um, and then as far as my stand-up uh, video, what I'll do is uh, I'll shoot you the YouTube link to the video. And maybe you can put it on the show notes. I only have one showcase up uh, at this point. I'm doing another one coming up here in about a month or so, cool. uh, which I'll post up. So I'm kind of in the process of building a brand around all the comedy stuff that I'm doing. But in the meantime, those, those are the best pe- uh, places to connect with me. Awesome. Sweet. All right. So then to wrap up, we'll go around giving our answer to the question. Uh, we'll start with Martin and finish. Jason, you kind of already said it, but we'll finish with you regardless. Um, Martin. It was how do you become creative, right? Was it? I think so. It's a creative title. Um, <laughs> so I think the thing that kind of popped into my head as we were talking, which we didn't get a chance to go too far into, but um, separating, I think there's there's a real need to separate who you are as a person from what you're trying to create. Um, because I, I see that happen a lot where people think that the work they create is who they are. So if someone's saying that, uh, that video you posted or that joke you told or that song you recorded is bad, they're saying you're bad. Well, that's not true. It just means that that execution wasn't right. And so, uh, I watched a, an interview with the late Gene Wilder and someone said like, what's the biggest misconception that people have when they see you on the street? And he said, oh, it's that they think I'm funny. And uh, they're like, what do you mean? He's like, well, they come up to me and they expect me to like be Willy Wonka. I'm, I'm not Willy Wonka. <laughs> like, I'm not, he's, like, he's like, sometimes I make my wife chuckle, but like, it's not a laugh riot in my house, right? Like, uh, and so I just, I like that concept of separating yourself from the work because you as a person and your work as itself, as like a separate thing. And this is the... Um, the thing with that show that that comedian, I forgot his name again, John Mulaney, that like his show, like one of the hardest things that he had to deal with was like, he made it his name. So when people <laughs> were bashing the show, it was like, they were saying his name. And he was like, the worst thing you could have is like, someone say, you're not funny. And my show was my name. And they were saying it wasn't funny, which made it seem like I wasn't funny. But then I would go up on stage and do comedy and people would laugh. And I'm like, they're not laughing. They don't think it's funny. And like, it's this weird thing where he got like so wrapped up in the name and the creation and everything. But once you separate yourself from it, it frees you up to try things. And um, like, if I bomb doing improv, it, I, like me as a person, I, I'm not, I don't suck. That set might've yeah, sucked. Yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> maybe I do. But like that set sucked and that joke I tried or that character I tried or the fact that I like couldn't think of words to say, like, yeah, that sucked. But, you know, when I go back home and I just sit down and, like, finish out my night, that's not me, right? That's, that's the thing I'm trying to create that I'm eventually going to get good at if I do it enough. Uh, you do know that it's clearly three boys stacked on top of each other. <laughs> <laughs> that's the best joke from any show. Like, that, that running joke in BoJack is great. Do you watch that show, Jason? No, I don't. Uh, you got to watch it. I tried to Netflix, explain that Bojack to someone. Horseman. I just I tried to explain that to someone and they did not understand what I was saying. So let's try not to explain it on here and just say, <laughs> go watch BoJack Horseman. Uh, my answer for how do you become creative? Um, towards the beginning, one of the things you touched on, Jason, it was like getting into that mindset that this is something that you're like, you're, you're now more or less a joke teller. You're a comedian and you're getting into that mindset of, 
almost like being on the lookout for things that could be funny. You're trying to find the humor in you know pretty much everything. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. And what I think is is required alongside with that is allowing yourself to pretty much like have those funny thoughts uh, and not not shoot yourself down mentally before you've even like created the joke or, or, or said like, oh, there could be something here. One of the things people always like will tell me is because just like naturally in conversation, I'll, I'll have like a on the spot, like a really bad like dad joke or like a pun or whatever. And they'll always be like, how do you think of this stuff on the spot? And I never really have an answer for it. But in reality, the answer is because I've never thought it's, a bad thing to be saying. I never thought I shouldn't be making that joke. I was going to say, why'd you use the word bad in front of pun and dad joke? <laughs> is, those are the two greatest things on earth. So, um, you know, I've, ne- I've never thought it's inappropriate. I've never thought I shouldn't be expressing myself in that way. So therefore it's not, a, like, there's no, there's nothing in my brain saying, wait, should I say that? No, I just, it's part of my way of talking to people. So I think coupling, not only getting in the mindset, but allowing yourself to, to think the way in which you want to think. Jason, how do you be, how do you become creative? Or actually, instead of answering that question, tell us a joke. (laughs) (laughs) Make us laugh, clown. Make us laugh. (laughs) That's the worst, dude. Uh, People that know I'm doing stand-up comedy now, it's like the thing that's like, tell a joke. It's like, well, Okay, I mean, I can tell you. Okay, fine. That, like, account manager, account manager. No, no, no. That's That's when you pull a Jerry Seinfeld and you say, the world is so bleak. <laughs> you know, we're all yeah. <laughs> it's like you're you're a salesman as a profession. Sell me something right now. You know, it's like you don't go up to salespeople and do that. But uh, so as I've just been listening to your guys' answers and just sort of thinking about what we talked about, I think there's like three three main points here. I think on how you can uh, become creative. I think that number one, the mindset is that I don't know if you necessarily become creative as much as you unlock a part of your your brain and your personality and your mind that is already there. I think a lot of people have the potential to be creative. It's just the mindset of, you know, like how can I find out what my creative outlet is? So I think that being willing to experiment, I think everyone should have a creative outlet of some sort. But being able to experiment and try different things to see what you like is important. So for me, I I don't I'm not a huge fan of like blog uh, article p- writing, but I love podcasting. So uh, having a podcast has been a great creative outlet for me. Um, uh, improv and stand-up, I've done both. I suck at improv, uh, and because I suck at it, I don't enjoy the performance aspect of improv as much as I do with stand-up. So I found that the stand-up part of performing, and then I also love the writing part of stand-up, like that type of writing I love. So I think that the first part is you know find your creative outlet. Everyone is creative in at least some sort of degree, like find out what that is and find a way that you can express yourself in a way where you have very low inhibitions. Uh, Number two, I would say, is that the daily do is very, very important. And taking action on a daily basis, what that does is creates a feedback loop for you. So in other words, I go through, just like every other human being does, I go through multiple days per week where I am just not confident in myself. That could be the things I do for work. It could be in relationships like with women. It could be uh, stand-up in this case, right? And I think creating a, a, 
having a form of creativity like stand-up where I'm doing, you know, open mics three or four nights out of the week and writing jokes. It's like, if I do really bad one, one time, it's not a big deal because I'm going to get on stage the next night and do well. So I'm creating really, really shortened feedback loops for myself so that that actually helps a ton with my confidence. So whatever you decide to do, whatever your creative outlet is, make sure it's something you can practice on a daily basis so that you don't have these weeks or months that go by where you're feeling like a piece of shit about yourself. Um, and then I would say the third thing, and we talk about this a lot in this space, and we've talked about it today, is you'd find your supporting cast. And a lot of times that's as simple as just making sure that you share your journey. So you're on a creative journey to do whatever it is, document it, share it on social media. That's what the platforms are for. And you'll find that there's probably a lot more people out there that want you to succeed than that want you to fail. Perfect capstone on the conversation. Jason Bay, stand-up comedian. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. You guys, uh, pleasure to be on the show again. All right, we'll talk soon. He funny, clown. (laughs) (laughs) That wrapped up our conversation with Jason Bay. Jason, thank you so much for joining us and allowing each of us to better explore our creative sides and creative process. Did you, the listener, enjoy this episode? If so, the best compliment you can give us is a rating and review on iTunes and subscribing to the show. Ratings and reviews and subscriptions help more people find the show. Therefore, more people get to discover their inner awesome. And if you listen on a place like SoundCloud or Stitcher, subscribe there too. For full topics, references, and resources discussed in this episode, you can find the complete show notes over at idealemon.com. That does it for this one. Thank you again to Jason Bay for joining us as our guest. For Martin McGovern, I am Rajiv Nathan. You have been listening to the Discover Your Inner Awesome podcast. We will see you next time. But in the meantime, take care and be awesome today. Welcome to the party, we bout to get it on Leave your worries at the door, we bout to get gone Bacardi Limon and the bone, give me some dome Perry Dawn smoking the strong, give me Patron in the zone Shorty that I'm dancing up on, the snake charmer She made my black snake moan, I gotta have her See her, then I grab her She turned me to a body snatcher Dude thought he had her At the party, but she left with the dime at the party after The party don't start to the after party When your life is a party, you don't have to party so knowing when I'm waking, I'm taking a couple shots. My life for celebration. Here's the toast to party people in the nation. <laughs>